All right, we begin. This is the second session on non-literal language, chapter 7 of What Does This Mean? And it, uh, it stems from the issue of how do we talk about God and is language about God literal in any sense? Is it non-literal? If it is non-literal, what does that mean? Um, may God be addressed or, and or described in feminine terms? All those kinds of issues. Not big issues 50 years ago, but they are big issues today. So today what we're going to be doing is having a debate in the class We've divided them up, pro side, con side, and this is the statement before the house. Given our contemporary culture, it is in certain circumstances acceptable to address God as our mother. Now we have a judge today, Travis Scholl recent graduate from the Yale University Divinity School who is wearing his magnificent robes. And I'll just give you the copy of the actual statement that we are debating. And this is going to be now the procedure. The pro side, the side arguing for the statement, will have eight minutes uninterrupted for its presentation. Then the con side will have eight minutes uninterrupted for its first statement. Following that, this side will have four minutes to give additional material or to begin a rebuttal. Then this side will have four minutes for additional material or to begin a rebuttal. And after that, there will be open discussion, which I will control so that we stay on topic. All right? So we will begin. I will time this. The first eight minutes goes to the pro side. Pro side, please. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. When a person hears these beautiful words from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, their mind is very quickly pointed toward the missional statements of Christianity, the purpose of spreading the gospel for the furthering of the kingdom of God. Within that framework, we assert then that it is wholly and completely appropriate to say that given our contemporary culture, it is in certain circumstances acceptable to address God as our mother. We came to this conclusion with careful looking at the current cultural clim uh, climate as well as concise looking at li uh, literary and language theory. Again, 
This is under certain circumstances. We are not advocating changing of creedal statements or changing of the divine service. In certain circumstances, most poignantly, in personal pastoral care, is the certain circumstances in which we are framing our side of the debate. Okay. Like Paul, we all will be called upon to bring the changeless message of the gospel to those in our 21st century cultural context, using the language and images appropriate to that context. For those in our culture today, what are the images evoked by the word father? Care, protection, guidance, for many of us, I would suspect the answer is yes, those are the images evoked. For a significant minority, however, the pictures that come to mind are far less pleasant. For these individuals, father may connect in their mind with another set of characteristics, neglect, abuse, and abandonment. Neglect. In 2006, there were close to one million confirmed cases of child abuse and neglect in the United States. Of these, nearly 20% are 200,000 were perpetrated by a father figure acting alone. Abuse. Every year, nearly four million women report a serious assault by a male partner. And no doubt there are children in these homes whose images of father are being affected by the domestic abuse in these homes. Abandonment. Perhaps most important to us in America, nearly 40% of American children every night go to bed in homes in which their father does not live. Neglect, abuse, and abandonment. These are the words that correspond to father for a non-trivial percentage of our population. When we provide pastoral care to these individuals, will we be sensitive to these images in the way we speak about God? When I was five years old, my dad came home one night and violently abandoned my family. My, fa my father abandoned me and his responsibility to be my father. He was no longer the figure that I could trust at all times and depend on for help, guidance, comfort, and safety. He wasn't the one I'd turn to when scared or hurting and in need. The one I turned to was my mother. The one sacrificing of themselves to provide for me, comfort me, protect me, and love me was my mother. The one giving me hope for a better life was my mother. The image that my father produces in my mind does not bring one of ideas of trust, comfort, and hope, but rather it is the image of mother that brings to my mind the attributes of the loving God who created me and died for me. And sadly, I am not alone in this situation in our contemporary American culture. Given all these real life circumstances, we are forced to consider what the term in our father in reference to God is is meant to evoke, what it implies. We must recognize that ink on a page in the form of our Father, that signifier does not in and of itself contain the God of the universe. The God of the universe cannot be contained in human language. He's above and beyond it. Language is a means by which he stoops down so that man may understand and comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Noting uh, that it is just signifiers, language is just signifiers, these words are designed to evoke characteristics about God in our minds. Most notably with the characteristic of Father, um, 
that of protector, that of comforter, that of the one who leads and encourages and guides. But we must also note that not all the characteristics of our term father apply to God. God is not male. And scientifically speaking, he is not our biological father of anyone in this room. We must also recognize, and, and our side does recognize, that the image of God as Father is presented as a virtual, literal analogy in Scripture, and that it's a very popular and predominant title given to God in our current culture. But at the same time, as we've heard in these, these uh, circumstances, there are many ways in which the term our Father evokes characteristics that are not congruent with the nature of God. Father is the neglector. Father is the abuser. Father is the one who abandons. As an example, suppose a little girl went to a circus, and at this circus, she was maimed by one of the lions at the circus. Would we insist that she refers to God as the Lion of Judah? Certainly, the Lion of Judah is a scriptural um, title that is given to God, that is, is revealed by him, but the word lion evokes in that little girl's mind the idea of, of torment, of pain, and of suffering. Similarly, there are many people in, in private uh, pastoral counseling situations where if we insist that they refer to God as Father, those individuals could be driven away from the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Another example is helpful. In Papua New Guinea, there is no term for sheep. Um, so when missionaries went there, they referred to Christ as the pig who was sacrificed. The image is the same, the person that is sacrificed. Those people had no concept of sheep. Similarly, in our culture, there are people with no concept of father. And we must recognize that for thousands, even perhaps millions in our culture, the, the signifier, our mother, evokes characteristics about God that are congruent with this character. The mother is the one who provides, protects, encourages, supports, and leads. We therefore do find it appropriate that in certain circumstances, in private pastoral care with thousands of individuals in this country, it might be appropriate for the sake of the gospel to refer to God as our mother in that limited pastoral care context. All right, you have 30 seconds if you want to use it. <coughs> Once again, to, uh, to bring back up, we are not advocating changes of creedal statements or the divine service in any way. The whole aspect is to be flexible to a person's private pastoral needs and eventually bring them to the rest of the church body, hopefully being able to eventually get them to refer to God as our Father. This is a way for them to connect to the Almighty since our Father does not contain the God of the universe, a simple ink on a page. Okay, thank you very much. So that is the opening statement of the pro side. Now, eight minutes, con side. Gentlemen, today we will be arguing the position that in all times, in all places, and in all situations, God is revealed as Father. Through both scripture and history, we have found countless examples of this as truth. Therefore, we feel that with the evidence that we are given, our basic Christian beliefs only allow us to call God our Father and nothing else. Let me begin with Paul, or at least a quote about Paul. Paul addresses God as Father in all of his opening salutations of his epistles. I quote Donald Guthrie and Ralph P. Martin. Indeed, there is no one concept of God which dominates the theology of Paul more than this. Yet, the maternal aspects of the divine human relationship are not overlooked, even if they are only implicit in the way Paul describes his pastoral role as reflecting God's care. 
I read from Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 15. <clears throat> For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth and on earth is named. The Greek for family there is patria, which is closely related to the ESV, gives another uh, translation, fatherhood, from whom every family or fatherhood in heaven and earth is named. Another quote. All human fatherhood is said to derive from the fatherhood of God, which shows that God is not called father on the basis of a human analogy, as if human fatherhood was the nearest approximation to the, the relationship between God and humanity. Fatherhood is seen rather to be inherent in the nature of God and in determining all that is highest and holiest in the human relationship of parenthood. This idea, this interpretation of Ephesians 3, 14 through 15 also has support with such authorities as Athanasius and F.F. F. Bruce, our modern, a modern scholar. I continue with Paul. He goes further than the Old Testament with many terms and names for God. With Abba, Romans 8.15, Galatians 4.6, the Abba Father, which is actually being cried by the intercession of the Holy Spirit as well, the Spirit of Christ. So, let me come to Christ. One more word about Paul. Indeed, Paul presupposes that this, this cry, this Abba, Father, is not only to be heard in his own congregations, but that it also rings out in the other congregations in which he hasn't even been to. So this term, this address to God, has been deep-rooted from the time of Jesus. Jesus regarded Abba as a sacred word. I'm reading now from Joachim Jeremias, uh, who is a well-known scholar in New Testament theology. When he instructs the disciples to call no man father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven, he certainly does not mean to prohibit them from addressing their physical fathers. He wanted to reserve the honor of the name father for God alone. This prohibition shows the degree, the degree to which Jesus felt that the address Abba should be revered. In our creeds we confess that the Son of God is of the same essence as the Father based off how the church fathers for the last thousand plus years have understood and read John 10.30, which states clearly, I and the Father are one. The church fathers wrote this into our creeds to make the point clear of what John says following in 10.38, that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. They are the same essence. We have no doubt Jesus was male. If the Father was otherwise, it would compromise the words of Christ and imply that they were not the same. In Colossians 1.15, it says, He, referring to the Son, is the same image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1.3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. If you want to know the sex of the Father, the Bible clearly and emphatically tells us to look at the Son. The Father is male, and to refer to Him as otherwise in any circumstance contradicts and undermines the entire faith. 1 Corinthians 11.3 Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Here we see that a hierarchy is set up where the head is always a male. Since the head of Christ is God, God is male. And the Father is the only acceptable way to refer to God.
The Book of Concord, page 407, paragraph 150, states, One is the father not of an individual family, but of as many people as he has inhabitants, citizens, or subjects. Through civil rulers, as through our own parents, God gives us food, house and home, protection and security, and he preserves us through them. God is a father as he is our provider, nurturing through pastors and doctors, teaching through scripture, and caring for our needs as he listens and answers all our prayers and forgives us our sins through the sacraments. Again, referring to the Book of Concord, specifically in the Large Catechism, page 408, paragraph 158, speaks of fathers uh, in, the, in the sense of by blood, uh, genetically speaking. Also, the second, by household, uh, stepfathers can be included in that group. And of the nation, uh, forefathers, forefathers of our country can also, uh, can also speak to fathers. But in addition, it also speaks of spiritual fathers, not just mere spiritual fathers who claim the name and don't carry out the functions of the father. But the name spiritual father are really for those who govern and guide us by the word of God. That name is given to us only by God the Father. Uh, you have now um, a minute and a half. Okay. <clears throat> Reading from the Greek New Testament, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Putos un prosoikete humais, pater hemon, hon tois oranois, hagasteto to onomasu. But this is the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us, and he directly references God as Father, Pater, which means, and then he references, hallowed be thy name. He states that is how we are to pray. And this is saying that the name of God is meant to be kept holy here on earth. And the name he gives God in this prayer is Father, telling us that this name is to be kept holy. Gentlemen, we are not arguing that Father should be used in a literal sense. How am I doing on the screen? I can't see it. Yeah, uh, okay. Down to the left a little bit. Yeah, okay, that's uh, difficult. Okay, there's some, I'm assuming it's okay if I don't go in the Hebrew unless you guys would like me to. But we're going to be looking at Isaiah 54, 5. We're going to argue that the Father is not literal, but in fact a metaphor. However, the question is not, is it a metaphor, but which metaphors are taken as more literal than others? Or uh, virtually literal analogies. If you look at Isaiah 54, 5, it says, for your husband, your maker, Yahweh of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeeming one. God of all the earth, he is called. If you notice these put together, your maker, Yahweh of hosts, the Holy One of Israel is the redeeming one, God of all the earth. I'm hoping and assuming that you are all not suggesting that these would be taken as metaphors, simply he holds some of those attributes. He is somewhat of a maker. Or a metonymy that he holds some of the similarities of the maker and not that. So to say husband would have to be a metaphor holding to these literal statements because they're all held together. Going back to Isaiah 63, 16. You, Yahweh, are our Father, our redeeming one from the past is your name. You'll notice that the use of the second person at the beginning and the end would block these all together. And saying our redeeming one from the past, a literal statement, Yahweh, a literal statement, our Father should be taken as a metaphor, however, a virtually literal metaphor. And all of this is backed up by Dr. Seleska of Concordia uh, Seminary. <laughs> Okay, all right, that's your time. Now, this side will have four minutes uh, uh, further, and you can either expand or you can begin a re rebuttal. Um, I'll start us off here. Uh, it appears that you all are asserting uh, 
that the first person in the Trinity has uh, sexual characteristics. Uh, as I read from a CTCR document put out by our Synod, uh, it says clearly, uh, sexual nature was characteristic of the pagan gods and goddesses in the environment of ancient Israel, but Israel steadfastly and uncompromisingly rejected any such understanding of God. As we previously stated, God is not bound by the signifier Father. Uh, God says clearly in Hosea 11.9, I am God and not man. Um, thus it is clear that God transcends all biological and gender categories. Um, again, all references to God as Father are metaphor. Uh, this is a non-literal use of language intended to evoke the actual characteristics of God in the minds of the hearers. The signifier Father is only valid as it evokes the true characteristics of God. And as we previously stated, given our contemporary culture, many hear the word Father and are left understanding the loving God of the revealed in the scriptures as one that abuses and, and doesn't care for, uh, for his creation. In Isaiah 44, 2, Isaiah 44, 24, 49, 1, um, verse also verses 5 and 15, Jeremiah 1, 5, and Matthew 23, 37. God is comfortable to reveal himself with feminine similes and feminine qualities and feminine signifiers, including giving birth to the nation of Israel and uh, describing himself as a hen who would wish to gather the chicks under her wing. Uh, we agree that it's not to create a feminine or neuter God in opposition to the Father, but to reveal himself better in human conceptual signifies, and the signifier mother, in certain cases, does the same in our contemporary culture. And again, we are putting forth and uh, stating that this is for specific situations. This is for pastoral care and counseling, not to uh, change the creeds, not to change worship, not to change the Bible's translation, but to simply use it as a non-literal metaphor to help a person who has gone through an abusive situation with a father, a neglectful situation, and to allow them to come to a right understanding <coughs> of the caring and loving God that chose and loves them. Uh, it is also used to bring them around to a right relationship so that they can come to an understanding of what father really <coughs> is, so that they can also become a father or a uh, wife of a father to be able to give a future generation a, a right understanding of what father is. Okay, so your, your time's up. Four minutes, thank you very much. Uh, back over to this side, four minutes, either for further expansion or for rebuttal. Okay. Um, I would like to start with expanding our argument. Uh, speaking to the fact that there's been no mention here of a specific instance in the Bible where God is actually referenced to as mother. And uh, the same CTR document that Justin referred to earlier states this. It remains a significant fact that nowhere in scripture is God addressed as mother, nor is he ever referred to directly apart from a simile by the noun mother. We would like to begin now by looking at the arguments as you have presented them. And essentially we can boil it down to three main points. First of all, you open by saying that Paul made himself like those who needed to hear the word of God. That is true, but never once does Paul say he changed God himself 
in order to reach out to the people around him. He, Paul changed who he was. That is an instruction to us as pastors that we need to adopt, adapt our own personal lives to fit the context we're working, not God himself. If we do that, we reimagine who God is. We have created a false idol. We have broken the first commandment and have done nothing good for the sake of Jesus Christ or the work that he has done for us. The second main point that you have talked about is the images that the word father presents. You brought up cases of abuse. You brought up cases where father does not uh, remind you of the images that God the Father has throughout the Bible. You listed a pile of statistics when you introduced this main topic, but never once do the statistics reveal how many of those people could not come to Christianity because of their abuse. Last night I uh, talked to a rape victim advocate, one, a woman who has spent six years uh, working with rape victims and women's of uh, battered families and abuse cases. Never once has she encountered a woman who could not reach out in her Christian faith to her God because he was called Father in the Lord's Prayer or is addressed as Father throughout the Old Testament. Furthermore, along with that point, is it not the church's responsibility to rebuke or refute the sinful uh, characteristics that a certain man, human man, has had here on earth? It is a result of sin that men abuse their families or their children. It is not God's fault. It is the church's responsibility to show them what a good Christian man should do in a family relationship and provide them with the opportunity to learn so the next time that person enters into a relationship, they know what good characteristics modeled after our God, Father, really look like. Finally, you have spent a lot of time talking about language. He's opened by talking about signifiers, when you were really talking about the images that are being drawn forth, the reference that people have. However, God, your example of the child being mauled by a lion, we are not instructed to call him the Lion of Judah. We can, it is an option. We are instructed to call him Father. Jesus makes that very clear when he teaches us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, not our Lion of Judah, not our Yahweh, but our Father. That is a very clear instruction that Jesus has given us. Furthermore, uh, okay, half a minute. Uh, you have talked about how God does not have sex. God himself may not have sex, but his son does. Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. When God chooses to reveal himself on earth, how does he do it? He does it in the form of the man. Therefore, as Christ, his son, instructs us to call him Father, he is also providing us with the image that we need to draw in our mind of who God is. Okay, that's time. All right, now, <clears throat> we will now proceed with arguments back and forth. We'll start with the pro side. Start at any point that you wish to start, and we will continue on that topic as it develops until we exhaust it or move to a different topic. <coughs> All right, is there anyone who wants to start, rebuttal, additional point on this side? Yeah. Check. When you, when you say that it's uh, characteristics that you're evoking in your pointing that it has to be masculine, but isn't it kind of pointing to our relationship with God and how God relates to us, not necessarily just characteristics that you evoke in your mind, it's your relationship with Christ, it's relationship with the Father. He shows that in there, our Father, that's his relationship to him. Just like we're, through Christ, related to the Father. Well, in Isaiah 66, chapter 13, God says, uh, 
as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. That's a mother's comfort. That's a characteristic, but it's also a relationship of God to his children. Okay, reply on the con side, please, to that particular point. Uh, um, Dallas? Indeed, there's an importance for referring to God as Father. Um, there are certain, indeed, um, controlling metaphors, as we talked about before. In Dr. Veltz's book, um, it talks about the importance of referring to God in the sense of Father, not merely because, but there are certain reasons. There are two specifically. One is the order of creation, and number two is the Bride of Christ imagery. On page 180, Dr. Veltz talks about how it is the male is the one who gives and the female is the one who receives. We cannot reverse this. In the order of when, when God created the world, he was the one who was there at the beginning. By stating that there is a mother, that implies that there was a father to for procreation to the mother. Secondly, the Bride of Christ image is also destroyed because Christ is the, the husband in the relationship and we are the bride. If we reverse this, it causes some major problems. All right, uh, any response back on this side? Yes, Knippa. Uh, well, by your own same argument, to imply that there is a father using human language also implies that there's a mother. No father alone has ever begot a child. Um, and I say that to illustrate the point that all the characteristics of Father do not apply to God. It is an image that is uh, presented in Scripture to be helpful in our understanding and relating to God. Okay. Any response back this way? Uh, yeah, JP? Um, we'd like to bring up, we talked to Dr. Herman about the historical context, and we have to take it from where it's at here, not in the common understanding of how conception is had, and in the historical context of when this was written. It was, in fact, believed that a man's seed was put into the woman as a field. That's referring to her as barren, she can't have a child. It's his offspring that she is merely a vessel to carry his child. So in that sense, God is the father, is the one who bears the child because it is his seed that is transcendent in the woman. Uh, okay. Billy? Uh, like we're talking about contemporary circumstances, though, and in a circumstance where a seed is fertilized in a test tube, it wouldn't give that credit to, uh, to a specific father. It would, in some cases, be a number on a page. So how would you refer to a father for a certain individual that doesn't even know who their father is in our contemporary setting? Uh, are you going to respond to this? Um, you have to respond to this point. Uh, I Josh? Was, but why don't you go, go JB? ahead, JB. Um, we are simply stating our context off of the written word, which we all agreed on previously, is the inerrant word of God, which he has proclaimed to us and revealed himself. So we have to take the context of the scripture rather than our contemporary belief and uh, understanding of the scripture. Mm -hmm. The application okay. of the scripture in that context does continue on to our contemporary setting. I can't, I can't hear Billy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, he just said that the that the um, uh, uh, the scriptures do continue to the contemporary context. So let's go. Uh, just a second. Go back here. And uh, but to to come back to the main point in the question asked, it wasn't asked in the biblical context. It was asked in the contemporary cu cultural context that we live in right now. In certain circumstances, the circumstance that we gave as pastoral counseling, 
in a very rare circum certain circumstance, it is acceptable to call mother to, uh, for the sake of the gospel, to, to let us uh, show the, the non-literal metaphor and to connect that so that we can eventually bring them into a right relationship so that eventually they can come to a right family and father relationship as soon as they've come to uh, understand it. Okay, uh, I think we might be able to go to a different topic. Let's go to this side. Uh, Ficken. I just want to define one, one part of what everybody's saying, at least in my mind. Um, I hear everybody over here talking about characteristics, attributes, similes, metaphors, mm -hmm. images, but I've, I have not heard us, or I, we haven't defined that we were talking about addressing the name of God, not talking about God, talking about his motherliness, his, his characteristics, and those are infinite. But the divine name, the addressing to the God that has been revealed is clearly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, now we're going to stay on that, and Hutch, you have, uh, you have brought this to a very important point that the issue before the house is addressing God. It is not generally doing descriptions about God. Uh, now, uh, this side did in fact bring that up and try to relate it, but speaking specifically to his point now. Oh, night. Well, um, in relation to that, and also uh, talking about the statistics of rape victims, uh, Dr. Cole did bring up in their class, Luther in mind, that he did have a victim of abuse who was not able to address God as her father, and that he had to give her permission in that case to address him in another way. Uh, response? Uh, yeah, uh, okay, Joe. Um, we've mentioned a couple times now about not being able to, in our contemporary culture, address God as our father because of abusive issues. What if our mother was abusive and left us for dead, didn't take care of us, so then, but we got a lot of comfort from our dog or something like that, so we should start referring to God as our dog and, and continue to go down the spiral. Again, that's oh, okay. Go ahead. simple to respond to. We're to, talking to respond about to that, yes. a very limited circumstance, and that circumstance is one in which the father is abusive and the mother is the caretaker and the caregiver. That's the circumstance that we're talking about um, here, as the question stated. Uh, that's correct. Uh, Ozzy? Um, our question then is, at what point do we stop with escalation? In a certain circumstance, in the circumstance that they're saying where the father is abusive, at what point do we say, all right, well, then you do have to address God as father? Or do we just allow it to be mother at all times to the point where now they're saying, well, maybe Christ was a woman? At what point do you put your foot down? Uh, all, all right, so question. The, the question is kind of a slippery slope question has been introduced. We have a response over on this side, okay? Again, uh, with any sort of pastoral care, you need to remember that the person in charge of said pastoral care is also in charge of the proper spiritual formation of an individual. If it gets to a point where that's a question, it is time for the pastor to step in and bring forth correct, right doctrine. Not, say, not saying that referring to God according to conceptual signifies that mother evokes would not be correct doctrine, but saying also, and also remembering one thing. That, that actually, I'm not even going to go there because it's off topic. And no, 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 we're going to stay on, on topic. All right. Seth? Based on your statement, Thomas, um, how is this not an infringement upon the first commandment? 
um, in which we are suggesting, are you suggesting that we are making God in our own image, which is acceptable to us in certain contexts with which we are operating? Is God now become a vessel or a tool in which we can operate and, and which is suiting our needs? Uh, you may respond. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to respond because you depressed yeah. it to me. Um, I would say no in the aspect that if you're referring, again, we're, we're saying that God is our Father is the virtual literal, virtual literal analogy, which doesn't change the fact that at its base, without all the power that it has, that term is simply a metaphor. When taken all the way down to its base. Now, again, we're saying it's the virtual literal analogy, so it's basically the basis that we, we assert everything else from. However, if a person makes God in their own image, in my mind, that's changing all the characteristics of God. That's changing who God is. Oh, I, I'd love to see hands. Um, <laughs> okay, all right, all right. That, that's fine. Uh, Josh. Not only has this become a first commandment issue, but we are again missing the fact that when Jesus himself, when he is on earth, addresses God, he addresses him as Father. He tells us, he instructs us, pray this way, our Father. When he calls out to God, he calls him Abba, Father. When, and beyond this, the church has taught that God is Father. In the formation of the church, when they created the creeds, I know you said you didn't want to change the creeds, but the church teaches that we confess in one God, the Father Almighty. And because that is the way the church has taught, if we move away from that language, if we move away from that teaching, we have then entered into the realm of heresy. And for those two reasons, because Christ instructed it and the church has fought against it, we cannot address God as mother. Okay. Uh, back here. Um, well, let's see if we can get someone else in. Anybody else in on this? Uh, Justin? Uh, yes. Uh, well, of Speaking course, to that. Jesus had a, a full awareness of who God was. Um, so in that sense, uh, the word father, the signifier father, uh, you know, corresponds to the appropriate characteristics. Uh, we're talking about addressing people in pastoral situations who, uh, who don't quite understand uh, who God is, and we're trying to introduce them to God. And when the word Father is used, the signifier Father is used again as a metaphor that evokes, uh, you know, characteristics of abuse and uh, neglect. Uh, so again, Jesus had a, a much greater, obviously, full awareness of who the Father God is, uh, rather than you know the people that we're addressing here. Okay. Here we go. Uh, yes, Gabby. Uh, first of all, to comment on the previous statement of Tom, uh, we are not saying that it is merely metaphor. In fact, we said by saying virtually literal analogy, we are saying it is so close to literal. By the statement we left in Isaiah, we could go back to that. That it should not be considered as a simple metaphor. Secondly, by saying that we have to, uh, we can in <coughs> pastoral situations refer to God in any way to show them where would you draw. Um, lines in the connection of how to reach them. I mean, could we call him Allah if that person is from an Indian background or a, a Hindu background? I mean, can we use any means necessary to relate them to God? We would argue that we should use the words that God gave us in the scriptures to reveal them since that's how he revealed himself to us. Okay, any response to that? I'll, I'll, just a minute, I'll, I'll pick up on you in a second here. But uh, what we're going to do in a, in a couple of minutes I am going to have the judge um, address uh, two questions to each side that, um, that they have either refused to address or that they have shown weakness in addressing. 
All right, and he'll start with the positive side first. But I will now call on Knippa to respond to uh, JB's point. Um, we would submit that uh, the only name, absolute name, that we see God revealing uh, of himself in Scripture is that of Yahweh. That Yahweh is the only divine revealed name of God given in, in the Old Testament and the scriptures. And uh, historically speaking, um, to, to back that up, in the Hebrew manuscripts, oftentimes that was written in archaic Hebrew when all the other Hebrew uh, was written in a more modern tone. Yahweh was kept in the archaic, um, which suggests that Yahweh is the only signifier, the only virtual, the only literal absolute name ascribed to God, and all the others are merely signifiers, signifiers that occur in a given context, in a given cultural context at a time and place. And so we would say that Father represents more of a title of God that is useful in distinguishing God in heaven from God on earth and Jesus Christ, that the Father is used in the Trinity and Trinitarian discussions to distinguish God, uh, the Father from God the Son, from God the Spirit, and that it is, a, it is a title, a virtual, literal analogy, and not an exact name for God, Yahweh being the only divine given name, all others being titles. So, Lion of Judah, title. Um, king, title, creator of um, the universe, a virtually literal analogy. Um, and also, so basing off that, uh, we feel to, to limit and say that God must always be referred to as our Father, or um, that God can never be referred to as our mother, is giving uh, inherent meaning to the words our father or our mother. And we feel like that's putting you on the train to oblivion. Ah, what a way to draw that to a close. One more, and then you're on. Um, all right, well, understanding what, speaking to what Michael's saying, <clears throat> our question then is this. Are we taking the name of Jesus Christ as we know him to be God? And saying that's a title. The name of Christ is a title. The name of Jesus Christ is a title. Because Christ, if you want to take it, you could say Christ being Messiah as a title. At what point, or, or where are they, you know, where are you taking that as his name rather than his title? And we're referencing Old Testament and Hebrew Scripture, but in the New Testament, which we've come back to this point, we referenced this a few times, in Matthew 6, Christ speaks, Christ, God as man on earth, speaks and teaches us how to pray in the word, our Father. Father being spoken by him. Obviously, knowing who God is, being God, speaks as Father, and that is based in Scripture. Okay, good. We're going to draw this to a close at this point. Mr. Judge, would you please begin by addressing um, a question first to the side? Okay. Um, thank you, first of all, for the privilege of being with you today. Really appreciate the decorum that uh, you all showed in, in following procedures of debate. I assume that's also a compliment to your uh, teacher as well. Um, and I think, uh, ironically, <laughs> hey, got paid dues. <laughs> uh, I think the, a couple of things struck out at me as sort of ironies uh, in the sense of how difficult of an issue this is. Uh, both sides appealed to Paul. Both sides appeal to Isaiah, um, and uh, both sides appeal to Jesus. And uh, so that 
this is a thorny issue because you're appealing to the same source material, and I think that's interesting uh, to how the debate is going. So, with that as an introduction, the first question I would have, and uh, you spoke to this a little bit at the end when you made the distinction uh, between name and title. I would like for you to discuss a little bit more how you would define metaphor and how you would address um, the way the Khan side talked about different types of metaphors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Pro side. We would define it as defined in uh, what does this mean. <laughs> <laughs> However, the judge wants you to do this for him. Um, so metaphor uh, is when something is, is compared to like or as, and uh, Dr. Veltz makes the distinction um, that the more characteristics that are congruent with the thing that the metaphor is being applied to, uh, then that metaphor in a way uh, moves beyond being a metaphor into being a, a virtual literal analogy. So it's so similar, it, it, it's not an exact name, but it's so similar that it is a controlling, uh, in a way a controlling metaphor. Um, and so that's how we understand. We would feel like the other side is taking a virtual literal analogy and making it into an absolute name, an absolute title, an absolute description, and that they are not distinguishing between the uh, contextualization that language uh, and communication among human beings implies. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's um, a question for this side? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to stay on that issue a little bit. Sure. And, and um, I guess the, uh, uh, the distinction that you've made between, uh, between a literal metaphor and I guess what we might say is a more figurative, mm -hmm. symbolic metaphor seemed a little murky to me. And I guess uh, what I would call the prose argument from what, what I would call the multivocality of scripture. That is, the, the, the uh, scripture gives us a number of ways to speak about any given uh, theological doctrine. Um, spell that out a little bit more for me, that, that distinction you make, and how then you would account for what I would call the multivocality of scripture. And I guess it, uh, in particular, I'm interested in how you talk about the Our Father mm. and uh, what, what that means then for how we are restricted in terms of how we are able to pray as Christians. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, every prayer we say isn't the exact words of the Our Father. And so, so then how... Attend to that. Am I am I clear? I feel like I'm. Being well, uh, let's focus on this on this last point that you're making. Uh, so the, the question would be: you're you're being quite strict about the Our Father, but um, every prayer we pray is not the Our Father. Right. We do pray analogous prayers and so on like that. So wh what what is the deal with being so strict about the phrase Our Father at that point? Is that, is that reflected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's excellent. Good. Right. Uh, yeah, I'll kind of address that question. I right. JB to address the first part of what right. you're saying. But address the second part. I'll address part that question first. Um, the reason we're being literal and not we're not trying to cause the idea of restriction in prayer. What we're trying to say is that when Christ speaks to us, 
you know, the words of our Lord, he's telling us, you know, in, in the Greek, in the, in the original biblical language, you know, we took it from Matthew 6, he sa states to us, our Father, stating to us, God is Father. And we're just saying, Christ coming down to us as man on earth, speaking to us, this is who he tells us God is. Not trying to say, this is the only way you can pray, but more of, this is Christ speaking to us and speaking these words to us so we can have a better understanding of God, more of a revelation of what Christ is trying to tell us. Okay. JB? Um, we were arguing. Obviously, we have to start off with it's a metaphor. I mean, that's, that's a given. But what we are saying is we are arguing that in this case, the Our Father is a virtually literal analogy or a virtually literal, literal <coughs> metaphor. And we are arguing this on the basis of the Isaiah 54 and 55, or 54, 5, and Isaiah 63, 16. And here we have groups set up where you, Yahweh, are our Father, our redeeming one from the past, is your name. And the is your name is grouped, coupled by the second person use of the Atah and uh, Shemek, So we have this coupling, and it's saying this whole thing in a bracket is your name. So we'd have to take from that statement, unless you want to say you know, the scriptures in the are quite not literal in that sense. We can argue that. Uh, that whole bracket is his name. And using both cases, uh, Isaiah 54, 5, we see that he's using literal statements all throughout, and he has one statement that would be a metaphor. Now, our question is, is he saying that this is completely, you know, loose, poetic uh, language, which he has not been using in the context? Or is this a virtually literal context, and thus he is saying, in this sense, this metaphor, because he's obviously not literally married to us in a, you know, a service, whatever, how would you take that? It is a virtually literal metaphor. In that same way, he uses the same language, our redeeming one from the past, which you'll find is the same as in this one. Yahweh, our Father, our redeeming one from the past is your name. And it's still holding that same virtual literal metaphor as what okay. we're arguing. All right. No, we, have, we have to draw it to a conclusion. Okay. okay. Do, you, do you have a question, another question sure. for either side? Okay, yes. good. Go. Go. Uh, I would like to, for you, uh, the Jesus referring to the Father seems to me to be a, a, a key issue. And so, which of course is a Trinitarian statement, right? So I would like for you to speak a little bit more about how you uh, take into account Jesus' own address of the mm -hmm. Father mm -hmm. as a state, as a Trinitarian statement. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think, uh, uh, we disagree with you on uh, as many levels as you assume. Um, in the majority of your arguments, we agree with you. And we agree with the referring to God our Father as part of the Trinitarian statement. But we feel, given our circumstances in this cultural context, for the sake of the gospel, for reaching those that don't have the same conceptual signifieds that were intended by our Father in Scripture, to get those people, those individuals that possibly have suffered neglect, abandonment, etc., etc., to get them to the point for them to accept the Trinitarian uh, concept of our Father and throughout Scripture, the references to God as our Father, that our mother would be an appropriate leeway or segue Le leeway. to that. Okay. Okay. No, we don't have time. One more question this way? Um, yes. I think for me, uh, just as your argument about Jesus' address to the Father was powerful, I also found the ad hominem argument uh, that the gentleman uh, oh. in the black shirt yeah. sorry, uh, gave um, his personal uh, experience. Personal yeah. experience, yeah. yes. And so um, 
that great confessional question from Augsburg in the Apology, where is comfort to be found? Where do we find comfort as a kind of litmus test for the way we uh, provide care? I, I would like for you to talk about um, how you would provide care to a person who has suffered neglect, abuse, or abandonment from a father figure in Okay, any response there, huh? Well, how about some of the uh, early titles in the early church and, and the New Testament, such as Lord, Savior, Son of Man, Son of God, plenty of other terms, but we don't really have a, a term mother. And so you're presupposing that we you know, don't want to care for our parishioners or that we aren't concerned about getting the gospel to them. But what's at stake is, in fact, with the early church, the substance of God, we cannot fully describe him. They sometimes refer to him as the name, the divine name. You said Yahweh, yeah, but now at the name of Jesus, every knee and tongue shall confess and bow. And so the name is not so much maleness, the Father, but encapsulates the substance of the mystery that we are trying to get to. And in communicating that, you can communicate that in many characteristics, in many terms, many things that have been revealed here in the scriptures, but the lack of mother and as well the divisiveness that we already have over father and mother, I would say nay to mother, or even discuss God in his motherliness, but um, not to um, make mother an addressy name for God. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Now, we're just about at time, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to have you judge right now which side you think presented the better case. I'm going to make a few comments afterward. And, uh, uh, what car you, you drive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. What do you think? Well, um, it was a pretty good debate. Yeah, yeah, very good debate. And I think uh, a lot, uh, it seems to me in debates, a lot hinges on how you define the terms of the thesis you've been given. Right. Right. And so the, uh, the three key terms being contemporary culture, certain circumstances, and quote, our mother, mm -hmm. seem to me to be the key. And I guess I was struck by uh, the appeal to coal. <laughs> um, because his office sits right next to mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> As, as an instance uh, from experience, um, but man, our mother, that is tough. That is really tough. Um, one or the other, huh? One or the other. <laughs> I guess I, the, 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 uh, I'm still not clear on the whole So are you, you going to call it, are you, you going to call it a tie? Yes. No, that, no, no, I won't. You're I won't not going to call it a tie. You're not going to cop up. But I will have to uh, appeal to to the fact that uh, as a pastor mm -hmm. to err on the side of care and comfort. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way the pro side has narrowly very narrowly defined Mm -hmm. certain circumstances is probably what is most convincing to me. Okay, so he's, uh, he's coming down on the pro side as being um, 
focusing most completely on the actual specifics of the statement. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Or providing the most right. convincing argument. Yeah. About yeah. Yeah. That right. Phrase. Good. Yeah. Good. Okay. Very good. Uh, now, regardless of which, so he says this side's one. Regardless of which side you are sitting on. I'm going to ask you which side do you think won the argument, okay? Now, how many people thought that the pro side won the argument regardless of which side you're sitting on? Put your hand up. <laughs> how many think the con side won the argument? Oh, my word. This is one of the few times I have seen that happen. I think that, that uh, especially the last person he addressed, yeah. if, you, if they had addressed how they would specifically say to a specific person, this is, you know, yeah. this is how you can look at Father and not in the way. Hold on a second. said Lord and Savior. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that actually, that's what Hutchinson was, get, was, was getting at. You were getting at. Now, let me draw this to a conclusion with the following couple of statements. And in class on uh, Wednesday, we will begin with a kind of a debriefing on all this. All right. I want to make a couple of very important observations. I'd like you all to remember this. Over the years, as I have done this debate, it almost always falls out the same way, and it is this way. The pro side emphasizes the cultural context. And it emphasizes receptor orientation in terms of how signifiers are heard and what conceptual signifiers are evoked. The con side always emphasizes the scriptures, the actual formulations and verbiage in the scriptures, Jesus' own address to God, and what tends to happen, and this is the point I want to make with all you people here and anybody watching this, the arguments tend to pass one another as ships in the night. This side emphasizing the current culture and pastoral care. This side emphasizing revelation, the word of God, confessions, and truth. And what, what tends to happen is that the argument does not actually that. Now, you guys, you guys tried this a little bit. Error, you tried this with saying, talking to that woman. You know, and what was her reaction actually? And you people did some of the scriptural work as well. But in general, this is the way it goes. And you have to be aware of this. This is, as you said, Mr. Judge, this is a very real problem. And it is one in which the, the specifically non-literal nature of the language just causes there to be room for uh, argumentation on a question like this. So we'll draw it to a close here, and we'll pick it up again on Wednesday. Thanks a lot. You did a great job. did a great job.